Hey guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and welcome to the Specified Growth Podcast. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and coatings industry. Today's guest is Adrian Danila, who is the Director of Facilities Maintenance at ECI Management. Adrian manages a portfolio of 8,000 apartment units. ECI Management is part of the ECI Group, which builds, develops, owns, and manages multifamily real estate throughout the Southeast Eastern U.S. Adrian, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. And uh, I'm saying hi to uh, all of your listeners. <laughs> Perfect. Now, uh, tell me more about your background, Adrian. So I'm going to start a little bit with my background before I came to the United States. I graduated law school. I practiced law for a little bit up until 2003. In 2003, I came to United States. And I started everything from scratch, pretty much. I did a, Ooh. I had a couple of art construction jobs. And then six months later, I was offered a opportunity, part-time groundskeeper for an apartment community. And this is how my property management career started. I worked there for six months. That opportunity turned into a full-time groundskeeping job. And then from then on, I just moved to migrated technician, technician, then assistant service manager, service manager, and then regional maintenance director. A couple of years, I went back and I managed a few properties. And then after that, I went back into a regional maintenance supervisor and now director of maintenance and facilities role currently. Awesome. Now, you talked about starting from scratch. Can you describe what you mean by starting from scratch? So, first of all, I had to learn how to speak English. My English vocabulary consisted of about 30 to 50 words, I would say. I didn't know enough English to order fries at McDonald's. Oh. And that's a real story. Mm. That, that's a real story. Really? I, I used to call them potatoes, right? Yeah. And... And I had to, you know, I had to learn the language. I had to learn how to speak. And at the same time, I had to learn something completely new. I never done extensive manual labor or working with my hands in my previous life. So everything was completely new to me. So that pretty much means for me starting from scratch. Yeah. So, I mean, you had all these things happening. Like, did you, like, how did you learn the language? Like, did you look online? Did you get some help? Like, how did that all play out? So a, a couple of ways. One of the ways I was able, I was fortunate to uh, find some free classes at a local college near where I used to live. And I went to night classes for probably about three months. After the three months, I couldn't really continue because I had to work longer hours. So I had to quit that, but mainly it was just by working around people and listening to how they were speaking and basically learning by mimicking and mm -hmm. asking questions. Yeah. So in your, your other role, you said you didn't have any manual labor experience. How's that like? Was it, did you naturally went into it? Because what were you doing before uh, you came into the, the U.S.? 
So I was, uh, as I said, I was a law school graduate. Yep. And then after I graduated law school, I got my uh, lawyer license. I never practiced as a lawyer, but I did do some work for the government as a uh, legal counselor. Mm-hmm. And then um, that was pretty much my background. I worked with helping my parents when I grew up, but that was about my whole experience working with my hands. Other than that was pretty much school and uh, book, book knowledge. Mm. Yeah. So did it all come naturally to you, you know, going into uh, sort of maintenance and ultimately facility management? Was it a big learning curve? The learning curve was was big. You could imagine that it's like nine and day, right? What I used to do versus what I'm doing right now. Yeah. But I've seen the opportunities and those opportunities really gave me the the push to want to learn, to become better at whatever I was doing. Mm. And that, that was my main drive, my main motivation, just seeing the, the greatest opportunities that the country has to offer right here, United States. Yeah, that's great. Now, I mean, you've, are quite established in your position and you've, you have a very good system. What are the characteristics of a great facilities manager? A few characteristics of a great facilities manager. Being organized. First of all, you really have to be organized. And he goes on a, on a daily basis. The morning time, it's the most important time. If you really are able to own your morning time, chances are your whole day is going to flow just like you wanted to, or at least 80 to 90%. Being good with people, being able to build a relationship, a report with coworkers, with your subordinates, with your customers, which in my industry, in the work that I do, is our residents. Being able to build that relationship, those are the few main characteristics that would make a good facilities manager. Yes. So. You talked about owning the morning. Like, can you sort of detail out what, what it means? Like, does it mean planning or like, what do you do in the morning for a property manager that is, uh, or facility manager that's so important? Well, mornings really have to take a lot of preparation. Before your day starts, you really want to know what your main tasks are, what are you trying to accomplish, and try to get ready, be prepared for those tasks, to attack the tasks in the morning. And then know actually from the night before what kind of tasks you have for your team members, what kind of things you need to delegate. Knowing those things really help you get the heaviest load out of the way and allows you to really flow into the day and actually work on things like planning for midterm and long-term strategizing, just creating, on a, allow you to be creative. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So for facility managers, are all days equal or certain days busier than other days? Our busiest days are Mondays and Fridays. Let's start with Monday, right? We typically, we typically run skeleton crews on all of our communities. Saturday and Sunday. Therefore, a lot of stuff comes after the weekend that the on-call personnel was not able to handle. Therefore, Mondays are really busy working on catching up with items from over the weekend. And also, Fridays are 
almost as busy. We get apartments, we finalize apartments ready for the new residents to move in for our new residents. And also there's a lot of residents that uh, have less minute things that they want done before the weekend so they could enjoy the weekend with their families. Hmm. Makes a lot of sense. What are the uh, key trends you see in uh, facilities management? The key trends that I'm seeing in the facilities management, very good question. I think really the, the main trend that I see and is not really just in facility management, but it's really in all the businesses is attracting the best professionals that are out there. Mm. I learned that you could have a very well-structured company. You could have all of the resources that are out there at your disposal, but if you don't have the right people to execute the plan, to implement, to properly use the tools, the rest of it is really secondary. It's really not that important. So I think focus on people is it's the, the main thing nowadays, especially with unemployment rates very, very low. The way they are, there are basically more jobs available on the market than people that are capable to, to work, really just do any work. So the job market is very tight. So, so how do you think an organization like yourself can attract the best people? First of all, you got to go, you got to go the extra mile. You got to show people that you care. I get often on interviewing candidates for various positions. The fact that I really take the time to understand who the person is, who the other person is, what they're all about, what are their priorities in life? What do they want to do with their career, uh, short-term, mid-term, long-term? And I'm also being told that not too many hiring managers take the time to, to do that. So that will be a big differentiator. That's something that I would always advise. Take the extra time and try to find out what the other person has to offer. What do they like? Are they a good fit for your company? Is your company a good fit for them? Is your company, does your company offer the right kind of culture for them to succeed, to become successful? One other thing is being very quick to respond to job applications. Now the internet and also smart technology, smartphones, pretty much change everything in the job market. Just imagine this scenario. Someone is looking for an opportunity. All they had to do is to download the Indeed app on their phone mm-hmm. and type in a search word, let's say service technician, okay? Mm-hmm. If you type in service technician and a zip code, the zip code that you want to work in, probably going to get right here in Atlanta easily 20 to 50 different opportunities. Mm-hmm. If you have your resume pre-uploaded on Indeed, it'll take you literally five minutes to apply to 20 jobs. Oh, wow. Yeah. The typical applicant would not go to more than probably three interviews. Mm-hmm. It's my, my educated guess. Mm-hmm. So if you're not one of the first three people that call that candidate, then chances are you're never going to see that person. Sometimes they will commit to an interview and they would maybe not even come to the interview or even telling you, hey, I had a better offer. Pretty much, they just disappear. And not only be one of the first three that are calling the candidate, 
sometimes you really want to be the first person and the first person that makes an appointment with them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they might make up their own mind. If they like what they see on the first on a first interview, the candidates are sold on what they're seeing. They're going to take the offer and just stop right there. They're not going to any more interviews. They're not shopping around. It's You have to apply a sales mentality. You have to sell and you have to work really, really, really hard. I had mm-hmm. situations to where I had a candidate, a really good candidate that I wanted to get. Yeah. And he was at work. He wasn't really available that day. The phone call took place in the morning. So I asked him, are you taking lunch today? Yes, I, I am taking lunch. Okay. How about you pick a place near your current job yeah. and we meet over there? I'm going to treat you lunch. We yeah. do this over lunch. And that's exactly what we did. And this is actually a story with happy ending. He ended up <laughs> coming to work for us. And that's very, nice. very, very exciting. Yeah. It makes sense. It shows that you care and, and to be proactive, but that, that makes a lot of sense. Now, this is a question that always comes to mind. I mean, with facilities management, you're trying to be proactive, but there's always things out of your control. What is the most challenging thing you had to solve at one of your facilities? I think the two most challenging things, Okay, I, I wouldn't name just one, but the two most challenging things are plumbing leaks, Ah. and HVAC repairs. Yeah. Now, depending on what part of country you are in, of course, I'm, I'm based in Georgia. So the weather is really, it's warm on a, on a warm side. So we're not really experiencing uh, seeing extremely low temperatures, maybe just for a few weeks every year, two, three weeks, or maybe a month. But other parts of the countries are dealing with snow. Mm-hmm. with ice, with a lot, way more challenge, way more challenging scenarios than we are dealing. But I will say the most, the most challenging things that we have right here in the South are plumbing leaks and HVAC repairs, mm. emergency repairs. Mm. Okay. So you oversee 8,000 units, which is a big task. And obviously you rely on partners to help you. What do you look for in a great vendor partner? In a great vendor partner, great question. Someone that's very honest, they wouldn't do for us, wouldn't do for themselves. Mm-hmm. I'm referring to the, the work quality, the quality of work. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you want to partner with me, with my group, I would like for you to treat me as a customer just like you would treat your own property, your own home, and do the same kind of quality of work that you would do for yourself. Mm-hmm. No exceptions from that. Reliability, honesty. And those mistakes, they always happen. It's just a matter of how we recover from a bad situation. And I think the best is really just be honest, say, hey, I made a mistake, I'm sorry, but we're going to make this right for you. These things mean a lot to me. Mm -hmm. Those are the most important things in a relationship with a vendor. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. So what are the biggest myths about facility managers or misconceptions, like misunderstandings about the facility manager's role, like for someone that hasn't done the role? That hasn't done the role. Yes, I think the the most common misconception is, and I'm talking about residential, right? This is 100% of what I do. A lot of the, I'll say individuals or 
customers or people from outside looking from outside into the industry, yes, they all uh, look at any service team members, whether they're facility managers or service technicians, just like they are the the repairman, mm. the guy that knows how to turn a wrench. They don't necessarily see that there's way more to it than just being having the ability, the knowledge to fix something. It's a lot more to it. It's the report you build with your customer. It's how you treat them. It's how you go into your home. Just consider this. We are one of the very few people that have access to the resident's home. Mm -hmm. Besides their close family and maybe very, very close friends, nobody really goes to enter their homes, their apartment homes. And we, the service people, were part of that very, very small group of people. Therefore, the standards are, the expectations are very, very high, as they should be. So we always have to make sure that we perform at the highest standards and we treat the customer just like we would like to be treated ourselves as a customer. Yeah, that's great. Perfect. Now, you're a busy guy. What are some of your top habits or routines that help you stay organized and productive? A few of the routines that help me stay organized. Okay. Yeah. So it's really constantly, constantly looking at my tasks throughout the day and make sure that I always advance and push each one of the tasks that I have for the day. I make progress. Every single hour or every single minute, I push those forward. I always do a lot of preparation in the evenings that I prepare for my next day. A good part of what I do is preparing in the mornings as well, very early before my, my actually day starts, before I get to the office. And I think those are the, the few things that really help me stay stay on task, on point, and having the, having the time to accomplish everything that I wanted to accomplish on a daily basis. Yeah, sounds like it's very good. Now, like, what time do you start in the morning? Do you start early, very early? So typically my day starts between 4.30 and 5 p.m. Uh-huh. when I, I do a quick check of my emails or my inbox. I have reports that I create myself for my, for my teams and there are numbers that I check every single morning mm-hmm. to see my team's performances from the previous day. So that typically takes me between 30 minutes and an hour. Then, of course, I get ready for going to the office, getting dressed. I try to work out a little bit in the morning before I leave the house. And then my day typically starts between 8 and 9 Mm a.m. And the day goes either between the office and one of my sites. Sometimes, you know, I go to two or three sites Mm -hmm. in a day. And typically, the work stops around... 5.30 or 6 Mm o'clock. And then when I arrive home, 7, probably 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock, I spend another 30 minutes to an hour checking numbers, prepping for the next day, strategizing, maybe answering some last-minute emails. Mm. So one of the last last things I like to ask is, you're really busy. Do you have any uh, hobbies? For probably several years, I didn't really have any major hobbies. I try to make some time to read. Yeah. But for about a couple of years, I got into the NFL, 
American football. Ah. And I, uh, I've been, uh, yeah, I've been enjoying watching w- watching the game. I like the strategy that's behind it. I know that there's a lot of hard work. I realize and a lot of strategy. Yeah. And uh, I, that's what I like the most about the sport, about the football, the American football. Yeah. Very cool. Now, is there anything I should have asked you but didn't? There are probably many things. <laughs> we could uh, we, we we could keep going for a long time. Yeah, okay, it's fun. Maybe we do another another podcast later down the road. <laughs> as far as my background, as far as my profession, I think we we cover a pretty good bit, a very good bit. Well, thank you, thank you so much, Adrian. Absolutely, thank you very much for having me. I want to thank everyone for listening to Specify today. Also, want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. If you know anyone, anyone that would benefit from this episode, please pass it along. And finally, make sure you subscribe to hear upcoming episodes. Talk to you soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.